Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hey, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast, almost here, around the corner of future technology. And today, I'm here with Martin Stevens, uh, the CEO of ItIs3D.com, I-T-I-S-3D.com. How you doing, Martin? Good. Thank you very much, Richard. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're here. Um, can you tell listeners briefly... Um, what it is 3D does. It looks like you guys do a, a bunch of different things in the 3D printing world. It is 3D specializes in uh, 3D technologies rather than just 3D printing. We do a lot of work with schools and it is clear to us in the educational context and probably every other context as well that if you don't know how to design in 3D, 3D printers are totally useless. The only thing you can then do is download pre-made designs from the Internet. So our, although we don't sell anything to do with 3D design, our focus is trying to get uh, particularly youngsters and, their, of course, their teachers and uh, heads of schools to think about the need for teaching uh, kids 3D design in order that they can make use of the fabulous opportunities that 3D printing and 3D scanning provide. Yeah, I could tell you a brief story. Um, I forget the name of the pen, but I saw on your website there's a 3D pen that you, you, know, you mm-hmm. push the button and it extrudes plastic. Well, yeah. I got that for my kids. You know, they're 7, 9, and 11. And, you know, first day we could make basic stuff, and then after a day they were making, like, purses and boxes, and it was amazing. They, they taught themselves in a day how to make all kinds of cool stuff, and, and they loved it. So it's, uh, in that case, it's really exciting. More talented than I am, <laughs> and me. <yeah. laughs> it takes me a little longer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah, tell me about the work uh, you guys do in schools. What kind of curriculum and programs, and uh, how do you teach design to, to kids? Well, the the way that we work is that uh, we we sell the equipment. So we sell 3D printers. We sell all the materials for printing. We sell 3D uh, scanners. And uh, as we spent time with schools, it became increasingly obvious that, uh, the, as I said earlier, a prerequisite is that the kids learn how to design in 3D. So what we uh, try and persuade schools to do and how they take this up varies very much from uh, school to school is to spend time with us so that we give an opportunity, we're given an opportunity to explore with the kids what 3D technologies are and all their ramifications. So typically we'll start off spending um, a couple of hours doing a PowerPoint-based presentation to them. And that tells them exactly what 3D printing is, how it works, and where it came from. Now that's all um, a necessarily necessary precursor to explaining to them where 3D printing is going. And that's really the important part for their future lives and careers. So we make them aware of the fact that even if they decide to take up a career which has no bearing on 3D printing, at least 
using it within their career, 3D printing will affect their lives. And that if they do choose a, uh, let's say, a more technical career path, then 3D printing is, and its associated technologies, is going to offer a vast choice of opportunities, many of which we can't even be certain uh, might be at this stage. So we will uh, talk to them about how it is currently used in areas such as manufacturing, engineering, in uh, fashion, in food, in medicine, uh, and so on and so forth, so that they get some idea of what sort of um, applications currently exist. But we also make sure, sure that they understand that 3D printing is changing at such a tremendous rate that things that we say today are not possible, tomorrow may well be possible. And not only that, things that we haven't thought of today will suddenly appear tomorrow as possibilities and things which will affect them both in terms of uh, perhaps improving their lives, extending their lives, or giving them a tremendous career opportunities. So having given them uh, the – sorry, go on. Yeah, quick question. Um, What age groups – does this presentation work best with? What, which ones are you targeting? We have done it with um, youngsters from about seven and eight right up to um, young adults. We've also given talks to the general public, and I think the age in the room went from somewhere like uh, 22 up to about 85. And we also do it for industry, and uh, uh, there it could be anybody as well. So everybody gains something for this, and of course we tailor it for the specific age group. Right. Yeah, a lot of listeners, um, you know, have kids of varying ages. What's the best way for, um, you know, besides attending one of your presentations um, in the home environment, you know, what's the best way to introduce 3D printing into the home? Um, you know, besides, you know, what's the list of uh, items to get, and how would you broach the subject with, you know, with your kids at home and, and get them started so they're not. Uh, frustrated and they can get going on this. Well, I think the first thing that you do, which is, um, that you did rather, with with your kids, which is getting them um, 3D pens, where Mm. they don't actually have to learn to design in 3D, they can just um, use their their drawing and uh, innate design skills and make 3D models, is a great way of starting, Mm. because um, for young kids, they're endlessly creative and endlessly fascinated by making things. So that's a really good way of getting them um, up and running. Having said that, if they really want to go into this properly, then, as I said earlier, the uh, key prerequisite is learning how to design in 3D. Now, when we do our sessions with schools, the software program that we teach them is an Autodesk product called 123D Design. There are a number of... uh, easy to learn, easy to start with software programs out there, and we could have chosen any one of a number. The reason that we go with Autodesk is that, uh, first of all, they offer all of their products completely free to to schools and to to young people, so that Mm. there are no costs inherent in teaching the kids how to design in 3D. Secondly, from our experience with the many kids we've worked with, they learn the product incredibly quickly and I mean that after a half hour session they are already designing uh, in anger and um, making some very interesting designs 
And also, thirdly, there are lots of um, videos, YouTube um, videos available that they can download and they can teach themselves. Because we're doing it within the context of the school, it's very easy for us to stand up and uh, work with a class of 20 or 30 uh, pupils and do it with them there and then so that everybody mm. is learning at the same time. And one of the great benefits of that is that inevitably some youngsters learn faster than others. And as soon as we right. see some uh, fast learners or perhaps have had a bit of experience before, we can set them to teaching their peers. And that's far more powerful than uh, we as adults trying to uh, teach them it's when their peer group help them, that's when they really start learning fast. And, of course, the, those who are teaching um, learn a huge amount from doing that themselves. That's great, yeah. And then what about the um, – so that's the design software. Yeah. What about the rendering and the making? What's the best suggestion for a start on well, the 3D printers th themselves? Uh, then once, once you've taught them how to design and taught them some of the – basic parameters around um, what your design, that some of the aspects of your design. In other words, for example, that you have to have a flat base because otherwise it won't sit properly on the bed um, and that all of your uh, connections, because a, a 3D design uh, software is basically lots of tiny triangles which form a mesh, and if there are any gaps in the mesh, then the software, uh, the, sorry, then the, the design might fail when you come to print it. So having gone through all of those sorts of uh, criteria which are prerequisites from printing, what they learn is that anything can be printed and that everybody can design something differently, which is one of the great strengths of 3D printing is that you can personalize every single design. So when we work with a group of kids, we will find that um, if we've got, say, 20 uh, pupils, you will end up with 20 different designs, which is fabulous, and that's exactly what you're looking for. So we then use a, um, a product called NetFab. Again, there are a number in, on the market which can be used, which basically is just a sort of, uh, well, it has, I say basically, it's got a number of um, functions, but in terms of what we're, I'm talking about at the moment, at its basic, it allows the uh, individual to put their design into NetFab and just check, is this going to print okay? Have I made any mistakes? Is it going to work? And NetFab basically fixes any mistakes if there are any so that it's print ready. And when yeah. you've got that, then the next stage is actually to print it. Now, uh, since the uh, low-cost 3D print revolution, which started in 2009, uh, since then the number of 3D printers has proliferated. And there are literally hundreds of different uh, designs, different manufacturers, some of which are very good, some of which are okay, and there are some out there which are not very good. We've done quite a lot of um, research on that, um, and we know a bit about it because we did at one point design and build our own 3D printers. And so we've gone uh, primarily with um, a Chinese manufacturer called Flashforge, and we sell two of their products, one called the Dreamer and one called the Finder. And those are both low-cost very reliable and produce good prints. The okay. printers come complete with their uh, own software, which and this software is both the software which drives the 3D printer, but also which allows you to uh, import your 3D design file uh, 
and then to tailor it for exactly what you want to produce on the printer. So that can be things like how fast do you want to print. Uh, the faster you print, the um, obviously the quicker it is, but also the worse the, uh, the quality of the print. Do you want it to be full of material or empty of material? That makes a difference in terms of cost, time, and rigidity of the part, and so on. So there are a number of things that you can play around with, uh, including the size of the object, before you actually go to print. And then all you have to do is to download what you've designed onto an SD card, plug that into the printer, open up the software um, on the printer, and just click print and basically watch your file being printed. And wow. it's, a, it's a bit like with young kids in front of a, a washing machine. They can sit and watch the washing machine go round and round <laughs> for hours. But um, uh, they really love watching, even though it takes a lo quite a long time, they love watching their prints grow on the platform. Hmm. And Any... at the end of the day, the real excitement is taking the part finished off the machine and saying, I made that, I designed that. And this sense of um, self-worth and uh, empowerment is huge. And when we've worked with kids who've got um, learning difficulties or um, uh, physical uh, problems, when they manage mm -hmm. to do it, when very often they've been excluded from um, other aspects of the curriculum, their sense of um, delight is absolutely fantastic. That's really great. That's great work you're doing. Anything um, you've noticed that um, you wouldn't normally think would happen that happens in these presentations? Do you see kids designing things you're very surprised at? Or, you know, I, I, I'm glad to hear the positive reactions, but any things you've uh, found that are unusual or surprising, you know, kids versus adults and how they um, interact with this stuff? Well, I would say that the first thing that, that strikes us, um, and we're not surprised by it anymore, but uh, uh, we were initially, and perhaps we shouldn't have been, is that youngsters learn this stuff so fast, so much faster than adults. And one of the problems in schools is that teachers have to be prepared to let go and let their pupils go far beyond what they themselves can do. It's, it's very much the same with, as with um, some IT stuff with uh, coding, for example. The, the youngsters, they have grown up with, um, uh, as a digital generation. They have no fear of it, and they learn it very quickly, and exactly the same thing applies to our technology. So you need teachers who are prepared to say, I'm happy for you to go ahead of me, and I'm happy to learn with you, and we will explore what we can do together, and I'm not going to hold you back. I'm just going to contextualize and help you to, um, uh, to grow. I will act as a mentor rather than a teacher in this area for you. Mm. Do you have um, a all-in-one kit with presentation and software and everything for parents, or is this more just for schools and, and organizations? It, 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 has been, it has been aimed at schools. We've also uh, done it on a, a few occasions for those people who have um, homeschooled. I don't know if that's common... Um, over on your side of the Atlantic, but quite a few kids here yeah. are taught at, at home, but they also do a lot of things as a, a, a local group with their parents. And so we've done it, we've done the same thing there. And we, we could train trainers to do it in the States, but it's, it's not something that is that easy just to pass over as a complete package for parents to do it themselves with their kids. Right, gosh. Do you work with schools in the United States or is it still over in, in Europe? 
we have we haven't done in uh, in the states, but we have done in uh, several countries uh, in Europe, and we did uh, some work in China um, earlier last year. Okay. Any differences you notice in the in the countries you've been to, or you know, kids are kids? There, there, there are some minor differences, um, but uh, basically, uh, all of the youngsters that we've worked with have reacted in exactly the same way. Um, the Chinese uh, kids have been rather better and uh, more uh, um, obedient um, because of the way that they're taught in schools. But uh, in terms of interest and excitement, it's the same throughout around the world. That's great. In your presentation, you talked about <coughs> ways 3D printing is being used. I would bet most of the listeners in public don't know what they are. I would be surprised by them. Can you... Just give a few bullets on, um, you know, a real condensed version of where 3D printing is right now and where you expect it to go in the next five or ten years. Sure. One of the um, the terms that we use for, for 3D printing is disruptive. Uh, it's a technology which has the capability of turning uh, existing technologies and existing economies on their head because of a, a complete change. So one of the interesting um, applications which has um, recently emerged is the uh, application by GE Avionics in the States where they make jet engines and they have a number of nozzles which feed fuel to the engines and until very recently those nozzles were made up of 21 separate parts which were uh, would be machined from a solid block of titanium and because you're machining away material there's a huge waste of, of material. So you end up with 21 separate parts, which you then need an experienced uh, assembler to put together to make the final part. With, by using 3D design and 3D printing, the, the part was redesigned specifically for 3D printing such that it is now made as one part, printed at one wow. time. So there is no waste or a tiny amount of waste of material, there is no assembly, and not only that, but the new design was far more efficient, fuel efficient than the old one. So as a result, um, GE are now able to produce a better product, which is lighter, stronger, um, more fuel efficient, and um, costs them less to make in each, uh, in each case. The only problem they had was that 3D printing at the moment is very much a part-by-part um, technology. It's not, a, it's not so good for mass production. But they solved mm. the problem very easily just by throwing a lot of money at it and putting a lot of 3D printers yeah. into a factory. And now they've got the uh, infrastructure they need in order to produce over 30,000 nozzles over the next three years, I think it is. So that's one wow. example in an industrial context of how 3D printing is, uh, is changing the world. And then we can also talk about, um, for example, in fashion, Fashion designers are, by their very nature, uh, creative and uh, innovative. And they love the technology because it allows them to explore all sorts of different ways of designing and making from what limited them previously. And yeah, I spoke to, to, um, to... Sorry? Oh, sorry, I spoke to a company named Feetz, F-E-E-T-Z. I interviewed okay. the CEO, and, and they're doing 3D printed shoes. So that's right. an example. Very exciting area, yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Uh, and you can then move on to, to medicine. And um, for me, this is probably the most exciting uh, potential area for 3D printing. In, in medicine, 
3D printers are called 3D plotters, but um, the principle is the same. And when we're talking to youngsters and we tell them, you are expected to have very much longer lifetimes. You'll probably live till you're over 100, perhaps 120. But in my opinion, you're going to live even longer because I don't think the people who've done that calculation have taken into account the potential of 3D printing in the future for replacing organs which fail. So that if your pancreas or your liver, your kidney or other organs fail in the future, there will be a way of providing a 3D printed replacement organ which will use your own stem cells so that you don't have the problem of rejection, rejection of other people's um, uh, cells. And not only that, but you won't have to wait for somebody else to die so that you can inherit their liver, for example. So right. I think this is going to have a massive impact on um, long-term uh, life expectancy and health. What do you think is the horizon for some of the uh, future technologies, you know, 3D printing of organs, um, well, that, that gets very interesting indeed. And again, putting it into an educational context, one of the things that we discuss with teachers and with uh, uh, pupils is this is not just about technology. This is also a, um, an ethics and morality question. Scientists will push the boundaries of what they can do. That's the, that's the nature of the beast. And it could be that in the future it will be possible to create uh, complete 3D printed beings. Now, will these be people? Will they be robots? I don't think we yet know, but um, I had an interesting discussion with a 14-year-old girl about this, and uh, she said, where is the spark of life? And I said, well, I don't mm. know. I'm sure that uh, religions will tell you they know, but uh, I don't think scientists believe that they know yet. But uh, when we start being able to completely 3D print beings, whether they're human or mm -hmm. not, you and your, uh, your peer group will need to decide, is this something that you want? Is this part of your future life and world that you're happy with? If so, great. If not, then you need to know about it and talk about it. So the ethics and the, and the morality side, as 3D printing becomes more and more capable, becomes a very important aspect. And seeing the, the pace at which these technologies have changed over the last 10 years makes me think that the, the boundaries are way beyond anything we've yet managed to envisage. Mm. Yeah, even if, if um, it's not mundane, but even if you could print a large number of replacement parts for people and allow people on average to live to you know, 120 or 150, um, that would also change the entire culture you know, I would think that, uh, I don't know if people would want to live that long, you know, maybe and outlive their children or grandchildren, or they would just get tired of living, or, you know, they'd be need, they would need to have, be room for new people. I mean, it's just, uh, who knows what the dynamic will be, but it'll be very interesting. Our, our world is changing very fast, and although some of these issues have been explored by science fiction writers, I think that uh, in terms of our culture and in terms of our uh, way of thinking about our world and life, there will be lots of things which will be up for grab for uh, for exploring and, and discussion and uh, decision making. As or as you're implying, it could just be a, a emotional responses to the way that the world changes. Mm. So, what else do you see is out there that um, you know regular people aren't familiar with in the 3D printing world? You know, right now, 
what are some things that are happening that may be surprising um, to people that don't know anything about it? Earlier on, I mentioned the, the term uh, disruptive technology. And 3D printing has the capability of disrupting many industries. One industry that has already been totally disrupted by 3D printing, and which most people are unaware of, is hearing aids. So in-the-ear uh, hearing aids can now be made uh, and are almost entirely made by 3D printing. And if you use a, a scanner to scan inside somebody's ear, you can then make the hearing aid individual so that it fits perfectly within that person's ear rather than it being a generic shape. And as a result, um, th there are at least 10 million, maybe many more now, uh, are in, in the ear hearing aids which have been made using 3D printing. And there are very few companies using any other technology now. So that is an industry which has been completely disrupted by 3D printing. And not only that, the right ear and the left ear, I would guess when people are shaped differently, so you can have that level of customization yeah. too. Absolutely, you're right. Hmm. Any other um, things that are being made that it's becoming customary to be 3D printed? Um, let me just give you one example which isn't yet happening, but I think which is going to have a, a major impact on one industry, and that is um, shipbuilding. Um, the last two or three years has seen a, a huge growth in the, uh, the use and capability of 3D metal printers. Uh, and in, indeed, um, GE has pinned uh, some of their future on 3D metal printer in that they've spent uh, a billion or two on buying a, a 3D metal printing company. So uh, the capability of 3D metal printers is uh, uh, growing very rapidly indeed. If you are the manufacturer of a ship, whether that be a liner or a bulk carrier or a super yacht, whatever it is, you will want that vessel to have quite a long life, 30, 40, 50 years perhaps. Now, if you are building such a vessel, particularly in transmission and engine parts, there will be a lot of things which are made out of metal. And if, on the other hand, you are the person who has bought this and is running it for profit or indeed for pleasure, the, the cost of downtime when that vessel is not sailing is huge. So hmm. the, if a part fails, you need a replacement as soon as possible. That means that either the, the user owner of that vessel has to wait for a spare part to be made, which can be days or weeks, or they will hope that the manufacturer has kept a part in, in stock, but imagine how many parts must be kept in stock for how many years. It must be a huge cost. Or, in the future, you will just have a 3D printer. The manufacturer of the ship will send the print file to the nearest 3D metal printer. It will be printed, and perhaps the next day that part could be fitted on board the ship, and it will be able to uh, work again. So this will have a massive impact on the, uh, on the dynamics of um, shipbuilding. But this business of uh, not having to keep stock um, could also have impact right, right around the industrial world and thereby freeing up a huge amount of money and large warehouses which currently are full of parts which may never be used. Makes sense, yeah. I, I, I guess the uh, 3D printing also opening up, um, I guess they call them legacy systems that need parts that are no, no longer manufactured. 
and they could be made now. So older that's, systems that's, that are still in use. That's right. Um, so um, just trying to think of his name. There's an American com comedian, um, Jay, Jay Leno, Leno mm. who has a, a collection of um, classic cars. And yep. on, on one of his vehicles, um, uh, a part broke. Now, there are no replacements, and there are no drawings left, certainly no th um, 3D computer-aided design drawings. Um, and so what he did was he got a part uh, from another car um, and scanned that and then used 3D printing to produce the replacement part. Very easy job, very easy to, to solve that problem. So legacy systems are another area which are uh, perfect for 3D scanning and 3D printing. Makes sense, yeah. So yeah, I should have asked you at the beginning, but what's your background and how did you get into this and why do you do it? Um, well, I'm in technology in spite of the fact that I took a degree in English literature. And um, I've worked in uh, engineering and manufacturing all my uh, my working life. And the, the company that I was working with um, back in the um, uh, late 90s and um, early part of, part of this century was providing um, small CNC machines, uh, computer numerically controlled cutting machines for education and for industry. And we then became aware of 3D printing and thought maybe this is um, uh, another technology which we could usefully add to our portfolio. At that time, it wasn't called 3D printing. It was called uh, rapid prototyping. Uh, and we then became uh, experts on that technology and were selling equipment which uh, cost between, I think the cheapest machine we sold was about 12,000 pounds and the most expensive about half a million pounds. And then in 2009, when as a result of uh, patents coming to uh, an end, the capability of making low-cost 3D printers came about, we saw that that's the future that we wanted to be involved in, and that's when we switched from rapid prototyping machines to 3D printers. Mm. And you said you had made some 3D printers, but now you buy them, and now you're that's more right, focused yeah. on the educational side. Why, why the move from manufacturing uh, to resale and, and education? Uh, the reason being that... Um, our expertise is, is not in manufacturing. Um, and we had designed uh, a 3D printer, which was, uh, uh, we thought was good. And then almost immediately after it was launched, the Chinese started uh, bringing out 3D printers, which were just as good, but were cheaper. And so we decided that we're not going to get involved in an arms race here. And uh, we would uh, find good printers from other people and concentrate on our core skills. Makes sense. Yeah. So where is uh, it is 3D going? What's your goal for the company over the next few years? What do you want to accomplish? We we want to uh, help schools wherever they are to not make the same mistake that we've seen many schools in the UK make, which is that somebody hears about 3D printing and thinks, "Oh, that sounds good. Uh, let's get a 3D printer." They get one, and then they don't know what to do with it. So not only is it a waste of money within the school, but it's also a waste of opportunity for the pupils because the schools just put it in, in a, a cupboard, it gathers dust, and is never used properly. 
we think 3D printing is such a, um, uh, an, a fantastic technology and so exciting and of, so, of such import to the, to the youngsters, not just in terms of their future, but it's also something which um, adds a lot of value to their educational experience. And we want to make sure that uh, as many kids around the world get the opportunity to exploit that technology so that they can both prepare themselves for the future but have a good time uh, in getting there. Very good. Okay. And what would be a great um, customer for you based on the listenership of this podcast? You know, a school, a master, licensor in the U.S.? Uh, you know, what would be a it great really, outcome for you? It, it really could be anybody. Um, We've, uh, I don't know what it's like in the States, but uh, in the UK, there are lots of groups of schools where if you can persuade uh, people who manage the whole um, 10, 20, 50 schools of the validity of what you're saying, you can then provide a large number of schools with a, uh, a solution for them at a, a beneficial price and uh, they can reach, we, they and we can reach far more uh, pupils than would otherwise be the case. So, that's obviously right. uh, one area of advantage. But um, what I would also say is that very often 3D printing tends to be seen as something which is in the technology part of the curriculum. Uh, in the UK, we have a subject called DNT, which stands for Design and Technology, and that's where 3D printers tend to be used. But actually, they have got a far wider utility and that if, for example, you're teaching the sciences and you want to the, your pupils to understand something, I don't know, like a strand of DNA or the nucleus of the atom or um, mm. uh, a biological or chemical construct, you can uh, 3D print them. And by having physical forms which they can explore, youngsters learn far better. And it's not just limited, that's that's not just limited to sciences. You can do it in, uh, in history, in geography, and just about any other subject, 3D printers can add value. And that's part of the yeah. message that we want to get across. Don't just limit this to uh, people studying technology because everybody can benefit from it. And not only that, if you think about the future for these youngsters, they have to build up a set of skills which are transferable because they're not going to be stuck in one job for the whole of their lives. They're going to be moving from, from job to job, from industry to industry. And if they have a set of skills which are common to many different applications, then they will do well. And one, of, or one or two of those are creativity and innovation. And all youngsters are inherently creative. And if we can hang on to that, no matter what subject they choose to study, then I think that's a real benefit for them in their future. Yeah, definitely. It makes sense. I love the work you guys are doing. I mean, it's uncommon in the, in the 3D printing world, so that's great. Thank you. Um, and any other questions or things I should have asked that we, we didn't cover? Um, I think the one other um, point that I'll make is the capability of things to be made locally. So at the moment, we tend to make things in mass production in one location in the world, and then they're shipped around the world um, with the resulting uh, carbon footprint and greenhouse gases caused by, uh, by ships and lorries and so on. In the future, as 3D printing evolves and as it becomes more capable, uh, there is going to be a very real 
change there where things can be designed in one location and printed anywhere. So you can have it printed locally and shipped locally. Not only that, but you don't need to have the same as everybody else because you can make changes to the design so that it's suitable for you. So there will be uh, co-designing and um, co-working between the consumer and the designer such that the consumer can get what they want when they want it locally and people will not have to make things in the hope that they will sell and then having to scrap them if they're not, they will make them as and when there is a demand. And I think that's going to change the dynamics of world trade apart from anything else. And if anything is going to uh, bring jobs back to the US uh, for um, President-elect Trump, that it could be 3D printing that helps him to do some of that. That's true, yeah. Makes sense. Okay, well, very good. Um, best way for people to reach you that are interested in uh, bringing 3D printing into their school or schools or home uh, websites, it is 3D.com. Yeah. It, it Any is other 3D.com. Method? That gets straight through to us. Or uh, any emails can be sent to info at itis3d.com, and we'll be very happy to hear from them. Okay, very good. Well, it's been a good interview, and I appreciate it, and uh, thank you for your time. Thank you very much indeed, Richard. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, both to review to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.